We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Here, hey, we're going to be in Luke 23, the end of chapter 23, and the beginning of chapter 24. If you want to go ahead and start getting there in your Bibles, uh, but I just wanted to say it's good to be back. I missed you all last week. For those of you who don't know, I flew to New Jersey last week to go visit a, another Soma church there, a friend of mine, uh, and to just preach at their church for that weekend and to watch him kill himself at a CrossFit competition and just to hang out and get to know. Uh, the, the work that's being done there. So it was really cool. It was really refreshing for me. Hopefully it gave him a rest on preaching that week as well. Uh, but it was also a time where I just realized how much I love you guys. And I miss you guys. So uh, It was a long flight too. So the flight out there flew to Boston first, which was out of the way, and then got on a connecting flight to uh, Jersey after that, which was another hour. But the flight to Boston was like six hours. And I sat next to an 11-year-old girl who was practicing her TikTok moves the whole time. And so, like, no joke, she would just be sitting there, like, eating her, like, crackers that they give you on the plane. And suddenly just be like, oh, sorry. And then she'd sit there. And then she'd just do it again. I'm sorry. And she kept apologizing to me because she kept hitting me with her TikTok dances. Like, all right, it's okay. I have 11-year-olds. They don't do TikTok dances, but they do everything. Uh, and then the way back, I was getting on a plane to fly back here, and the flight got delayed. Then it got delayed again. Then I got another notification that got delayed. So it ended up being, like, they were doing it in, like, five-minute increments to kind of, like, ease the pain, I think. I was like, I know your game. Like, just tell me the real time we're going to leave, right? So it was delayed, like, two and a half hours. And then I finally got on the plane. We boarded, and then, like, said, seatbelts on, the captain got on, gave his whole message. I was like, we're getting ready to, to take off the runway here pretty soon. So I was like, great. So I texted Bethany, hey, we're finally on our way. This is what time I should get home. This is when the app is saying I'll land and all that. Great, cool. Forty minutes later, we still hadn't moved at all. Like, it didn't matter that we boarded the plane because the plane hadn't yet taken off. And then even when the plane takes off, it really doesn't matter until it actually lands, right? Right? The event of the plane taking off is nothing if it doesn't also land safely. And that's kind of how I felt about the, the sermon this week, the text, because earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, all three Missio congregations got together, the pastors, and said, hey, let's lay out a, a track for how we're going to go through the whole Bible in one year, right? And this week was scheduled to look at just Luke 23, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And many people have said before that this is like the climactic event of our faith. This is the crux of our faith. This is the literal moment where everything changed, right? And I would say yes and amen, but that's only half of the event. Because the death of Jesus only has significance and meaning. It only really matters if we also look at what happens three days later on Sunday morning, right? Because I could tell you lots of stories of people who died standing up here. They'd be sad and tragic, 
it would have some meaning because there's people who miss them, who are gone. But they didn't change our lives. They didn't change the lives of people thousands of years later. They didn't bring restoration and healing to a broken creation. Right? Only one death has done that. It's because he didn't stay in the ground. Because he did not stay in the grave. Because of the resurrection, we find meaning in Jesus' death. And in fact, Paul even said this in a letter to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he said, If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we should be pitied above anybody else. Like, everyone should just pity us. Because we're giving our lives to this Jesus, who we say died and rose again. And that matters for us. But if he didn't rise again, if he's still in the tomb, if he was just another person who died, then what are we giving our lives to, right? If you ever like ask that question sometimes on a Sunday morning, even like, why are we here? What are we doing? You know? Like, wh- why are we here? There's a lot of things we could be doing this morning. Football season again? Yeah. Beautiful weather out there right now. Like, sleep sounds amazing. There's a lot of things you could be doing. Why are we here? Kids, why are we, why are we here? You know? Go ahead, Sam. We can learn the truth about God. Good. Any other answers from our young our young ones? Why are we here? Why are you fixing your hair or are you raising your hand? You're raising your hand. Go for it, girl. We can learn about God more. Great. Love it. Good answers. Anyone have anything different? Liam? Who can be with this community? That's good. Yeah, we gather together with a community of God's people, brothers and sisters. We need that, right? We need one another. Any other thoughts on that? Adults, you can answer too. Why are we here? Why do we do this? If you've never thought about that, and now you're like, man, why am I? I mean, you're getting ready to get up and leave. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but if you're like me, you probably have asked that question before, Jess. That's great. I love that. Entering into a rhythm, a deep, rich history of God's people, who he has always called to gather together as a people, right? Not as just individuals who listen to their podcast sermon throughout the week and are good, right? But like, he's always gathered a people together throughout history. Since... He called Abraham and created a family and then a nation. And invited other nations into that, right? Jesus calling 12 disciples, not just one. He's always invited a people to gather together. So we, we, and I love that Jessica said, to celebrate, right? I think that's key right there. Everything you guys said is absolutely 100% true. But why do we do it even specifically on Sundays? We are celebrating something significant that happened on a Sunday. Right? And the Sabbath, for the Jewish people, their one day of rest, they had this rhythm of six days of work, one day of rest. That would have actually been on a Saturday. It's like there's a whole section of the church that like, they meet on Saturdays. They're called Seventh-day Adventists, right? But we, we, the church, has a deep, rich history of 
since the moment of Jesus' resurrection, gathering on Sunday morning, because Sunday is when everything changed forever. For all people throughout all time and history. And not just for humans, but for all of creation. All of creation has been groaning for God to come and make things right. And Sunday morning when Jesus rises out of the grave, that is the first fruit. That means that's the very first moment you see this breaking through where death can actually turn into life. See, for us, we know like every life will eventually die. That's just part of life. Everything dies, right? Every plant dies, every animal dies, every human dies. But we see this moment in history where everything changes. Where suddenly, death can now turn into life. So I want to just read the story right now. We'll start in Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. We're going to hear about Jesus' death, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So I'm going to do this a little differently. Normally I would like read the scripture, we'd pray, and then I would talk it for a while. Uh, this morning, I'm going to pray, then we're going to read and talk about it as we go, okay? But as we do, I want to see three things. And this is the most, like, seminary Southern Baptist preacher you'll ever see me ever be. <laughs> I'm not that, but uh, well, I'm going to give you three points, all right? Three points in this sermon. Where Jesus' death is different than any other death because, number one, he's the only one who never deserved it. Number two, his death had an effect on all of creation. And number three, which I already spent some time talking to you about, but he didn't stay there. That's the thing. Let me pray and we'll start reading. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. Thank you that we can get together as your people, that we can learn about you, that we can hear from you in your word, that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in the community. And that we can celebrate who you are, what you have done for us, who you've made us, the fact that you have given us life. God, we pray that we would find life in your word this morning, by the power of your spirit, for the glory of the Father, in Jesus' name. So Luke 23, starting in verse 44. Now, to give you a little bit of context before I read that first verse we're jumping into, last week Anthony preached on the Last Supper, right? So Jesus sitting down having a meal with his 12 disciples, and he talked about that and what that meant and the significance of that. So what transpires right after that is Judas got up from the table, he went, got the Roman soldiers that came, Jesus is out praying in the garden, he's asking his friends to stay awake and pray with him, but they keep falling asleep. And then the guards come to arrest Jesus. Peter gets all angry and violent, and he's ready to throw down, and so Cuts off one of the soldiers' ears, and Jesus heals his ear. He says, hey, put away your sword. This is not what happened. Jesus was willingly submitting his life to go with him. So they take him. They send him to Pilate. Pilate was the governor of their area, Jerusalem, for the Roman officials. See, he was in charge. He was running the show. And Pilate looks at him, talks with him a little bit, and goes, there's nothing wrong here. This guy didn't do anything wrong. So he sends him to King Herod. Now, the Jews were allowed to have little kings over their areas, even though the Romans were really in charge. It was kind of like a way to pacify them. Like, here, you can do your own thing, as long as you still pay us taxes, right? So he goes, let's give him to the Jewish king and see what he says. So he goes to Herod, and Herod's like, I don't see anything wrong with him either. But 
they mock him a little bit, probably wrap him up a little, and then send him back to Pilate. Interestingly, it says in Luke 23, Pilate and Herod hated each other up till this point. And suddenly now they become friends. I just find that super interesting, that one little line, seemingly out of nowhere, that like Jesus is even making peace between the people who are against him. Just the presence of Jesus. And what he's going to do is making peace among men. So then he goes back to Pilate, and Pilate's like, all right, we're, we're just going to beat him a little bit then, and then let him go. He didn't do anything wrong. But the crowd's mad at him, so to make the crowd happy. And the crowd's like, no, crucify him. Kill him. And there's a custom that they had that every year around this time, they would release one of the prisoners. And they said, don't release that one. Not Jesus. Now remember, seven days earlier, there was a crowd welcoming Jesus into the city and yelling praise to him. And yelling, save us, Jesus. And now they're yelling, crucify Jesus. Just seven days later. Because he was not the rescuer that they had hoped for. They say, release this other guy, Barabbas. Now, some translations might say Barabbas was a thief. Might say that he, uh, like, you get that picture of, like, oh, okay, a thief, that's why he's in prison, like, he's kind of a bad guy. But actually, the, the original word, he was an insurrectionist. Now, what that means is, the rebel who was stirring up trouble. What he was likely doing was leading a rebellion against Rome. There were many people who came before Jesus who the Jewish people thought this could be the Messiah, the one who comes and rescues us from Rome, because they were leading an army of rebellion against Rome. So in this moment, the Jewish people are thinking, Jesus didn't end up being the guy that we needed. Maybe Barabbas will get the job done, right? Do you ever like find yourself when you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to serve him, you're trying to love him, and you're like, I'm not getting what I thought I would get out of him. Maybe I'll try this one. That's that exchange that the people are willing to make in this moment. Okay, it's that, maybe Jesus isn't all he was packed up. Maybe Barabbas will get the job done. So they start yelling for him to be released and to kill Jesus, and Pilate gives them to the crowd. So they strap these two giant wooden beams onto him. And they make him carry it on his back until he can't do it anymore. And then they have to have someone else carry it for him. And they're, they have whipped him already. They've beaten him. They're hurling insults at him. They're mocking him. Oh, if you're really the king, let's put a crown on your head. So they get these giant nasty thorns that they've twisted together into a crown. And they place it on his head and it's digging into his ground. Using the skin. That's the context. In Luke 23, verse 44, he's now been placed on the cross. The cross he carried up a hill called the Skull. They dropped the cross into the ground, standing upright, and with giant nails, their hands and his feet, they hang him. Now, on either side of him, there are two other criminals. We don't know exactly what they've done. Again, some translations say that they were thieves as well. But they are also being tortured and murdered in front of everybody for their crimes. In verse 44, it says this. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land.
until 3. Imagine that. We go outside right now, or when we're done, usually when we get done eating, it's around noon, right? What do you expect to see? Sun's out, right? Bright, sunny. Today's supposed to be a nice sunny day. The, the sky goes black. Noon, he's there on the cross. The sky goes black until three. For three hours, in the middle of the day, like the sun just went and hit. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've, I've unfortunately witnessed, not like witnessed it, but I've known of many people I've loved in my life who have passed away. The sky never went black when that happened, right? Now, sometimes it feels like that when you lose a loved one. Like it feels like your whole world is falling apart. But literally, when Jesus is dying, the whole world is falling apart. Literally. The whole sky goes black. Because who is there hanging on that cross? The one who put the sun in the sky in the first place. The one who ordered the day and the night in the first place is the one who is being killed by people. Willingly. Verse 45, the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary split down the middle. Now that's an important fact because in the sanctuary, in the temple, there was a section called the Holy of Holies where nobody was allowed to go except for once a year, a priest who had done all these rituals to make himself clean and followed all these rules could very carefully go in there with a rope tied to him so that if something happened, people could pull him out. That's how afraid they were of entering into that because that was where the presence of God was supposed to really be. At like the highest point, right? Like if you remember, as we've gone through the story of the Bible this year, like when Moses goes up the mountain, he couldn't even look at God. It's, it's too much. It's too perfect and holy and good and righteous and we are the opposite. So they couldn't enter into this space. And there was this, what did you say, a curtain? It's not like these nice little curtains that are hanging in front of your window, you know. It's not even like the blackout curtains we have so you can sleep in longer. Like these are like thick. They wanted to make sure nobody accidentally went through them. The sky goes dark. And then this curtain just tears in through. Falls. Thing that had separated people from entering into the presence of God is there no more. Why? Because one of the things that priests had to do in order to get through there was to make a sacrifice. And again, to use Jessica's words, this was entering into a rich history that God had always called his people. That they had always had this rhythm of sacrificing an animal because of the things that they had done wrong, because of the rebellious nature of our hearts against God. Sacrifice an animal so that you could be seen as clean and enter into God's presence. And now there was a sacrifice being made. Jesus. On our behalf. So that we could actually enter into God's presence. What we see in this, in this things, a 
Number one, Jesus didn't deserve to die. When he made a sacrifice, it was a pure, spotless animal, without any defect, without any blemish. Someone who had sinned themselves could not go and be a substitute for someone else's sin. But Jesus had lived perfectly for 33 years with no sin at all. He never rebelled against the Father. He always followed perfectly what his Father wanted. He always loved and cared for other people, even when they hated him. And in fact, this is where we see right here. When Jesus was hanging with the criminals and he's being mocked, he, he says in verse 34, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. How many of you are having a hard time forgiving other people? Those of you who have kids, you ever have those moments when like they're fighting against each other? And you're trying to like make some peace, be a peacemaker, bless other peacemakers, right? Trying to make some peace between them, the siblings, but they just will not drop it. Right? Well, he did this! And he just keeps going. Like, can you imagine the very people who are torturing you, hurling insults at you, spitting on you, and murdering you in that moment? Not coming back later and being like, all right, time has healed all wounds and forgive you. In that moment, Jesus is saying, Father, would you forgive them? They have no clue what they're doing. A perfect, spotless, sinless, always loving, always faithful, always obedient to the Father, substitution made for you and I. Jesus did not deserve this death. He could have stayed in his throne in heaven, never stepped down into this. Willingly. Allowed those guards to capture him. Jesus didn't deserve the death, and his death was significant because it affected all of creation. We just heard about that, right? The creation is feeling the pains of their creator going to death. And Jesus is feeling the pain. This is jumping back in on our verse 46. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands. I entrust my spirit in saying this he breathed his thoughts. He's actually quoting a psalm right there. About 31, I believe it is. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, saying, My life is not my own. It belongs to you. I came here to do my Father's will. And if this is what his will is for me, like, what was Jesus praying in the garden? God, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will. And up until the very last moment, Father, whatever you want, I trust my life. Now, a lot of us in here have said we've given our lives to Jesus, right? We trust Jesus with our lives. But when the going gets tough, when hard things come, in that moment, do we still feel like saying that? And in the hardest moment ever, Jesus is saying that. It goes on, verse 47. When the centurion, that's the Roman guard who was there, saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. 
All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. That image right there of striking their chest, what, what that was was a symbol of mourning. When someone was in mourning, when they were in pain and sorrow, they would rip their clothes and they would beat their chest over and over. To signify on the outside the torment that was going on on the inside. Now listen, these were the people who were just yelling for Jesus to be killed. These were the people who gathered together for the spectacle, it says. In that time, they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have Amazon Prime. They didn't, couldn't go out to the movies. You know what the form of entertainment was in this Roman world? Crucifixion was like the highest form of entertainment. Sick, but it's true. They would bring their children. I know, we're talking about some hard stuff with kids in the room right now, but imagine they would bring their children and say, let's go watch the crucifixion. And people would cheer. They gathered for this, expecting a good show. And they were screaming for it. They wanted it. And then it happens. Suddenly, something turns. They see the ugliness of it. They realize this is not what I wanted at all. And I think if, if any of us have ever been caught up in sin, we might be able to relate to this. Because there's sometimes where it's like you are just passionately going after this thing. And then when you get it, you're like, oh. No, that didn't satisfy. That's not really what I want. And in this moment, the guard there, who is overseeing this, making sure that they die, yells out, this, this man really must have been righteous. And all the people have a change of heart. This is ugly. What are we going to do? Something happened there. They saw something in this death. Now, Jesus stayed in that tomb. This was on a Friday. They went to bed. Saturday. All of his followers are wondering what in the world just happened. They're mourning. They're confused. They're probably scared. If they find out that we were with them, what are they going to do to us? Confused. Jesus is still sitting in the darkness of death. Luke 23, sorry, Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, this is Sunday. I know Mondays are our first day because of the work week, but Sunday is day one for the Hebrew week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. This is the women who followed Jesus, who loved Jesus. They wanted to go and prepare his body, so they prepared his body earlier to set him in the grave, and now they're coming to continue to care for the body. So they brought spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. A giant stone that was blocking the entrance so grave robbers couldn't come in. It's rolled away already. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? He has risen. This is verse 6. Remember, <coughs> remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and risen on the third day. Jesus had told them about this. But it's not what they wanted, so it's not what they wanted to hear. But now they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. Even though it was told that they happened. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only <coughs> linen clothes. He went away amazed at what had happened. Okay, before I completely lose my voice, the original language there is not just linen cloths, but grave clothes. All they saw was a symbol of death. All they saw was a shadow, remnant of death laying in But Jesus himself, in his body, now listen, he didn't just float up to the sky in the spirit. The very body he was born in as a baby on this earth got up. The very body that had his hands and his feet pierced and his skull pierced with the thorns got up. The very body that had breathed in the regular air on this earth that you and I breathe in was filled in his lungs again, once again, with life from the breath of God. The Spirit raised Jesus, got up, walked out of that tomb. And later he appears back to his disciples and to prove it, that he's real in the flesh, he eats with them. Right? And then he tells them, hey, one day we're going to eat together again. I'm going to go prepare a place for you and we're going to eat together again. My Father is restoring all things. And Jesus is the first inauguration. Jesus, going through death and into life, is the reason we gather and celebrate. Because if we go with him, if we trust in him, if we follow after him, then we too will pass through death. You'll see grave clothes tossed aside, but we will step into life. And just like Jesus shared meals with people all throughout his time on earth, we will have a feast in eternity. That's what Revelation talks about. A whole banquet table, sitting down and eating together. So we're going to go and eat together now. This is just a small foretaste. It's a celebration because of what we know we have in store for us to come. And don't worry, I will sit far away from all of you just in case this is something contagious. But we will sit down and eat together, celebrate, magnify the Lord, knowing this is just a part, this is a small taste of what's to come. And as we fill our bellies with that food, and then we start to get hungry again, and we realize that didn't fully satisfy us, we know it's just something pointing us to what will one day fully satisfy We know that new resurrection life is in store for those who are in Amen? That's what we celebrate. That's why we're here. And that's why each week we also send each other out to be witnesses to this, just like those women ran from the tomb to go and tell other people 
our benediction this morning, you're going to hear in a moment, is later on in chapter 24, with Jesus saying the same thing to his people. You are now witnesses of this new resurrection life. Go and tell as many of you. That's why we're here. Amen?